0: It's so good to be here with you today. Thank you for coming to Kingsway, letting us be part of your day. I know this kicks off fall break, so families will be coming and going. So I just want to super say this. I'll probably say it a couple times in between. These next three weeks, I'm so excited about them. We're going to dig into the lives of a family. Jacob and his two wives, we'll try to touch on that a little bit over the next couple weeks. Uh, Leah and Rachel, these are biblical stories. Uh, We see what happens in families when there's chaos and stress, and we're going to start to deal with that a little bit here. Here today. So if this is your first time being here, it's okay that you don't know anything else about the book of Genesis. That's what we're studying. It's totally fine. Uh, I'll do my best to bring you along with us as we go. And uh, you might want to go back and listen to some other messages be like, okay, what is going on here? What's the backdrop as we set up a lot of stuff here for today's message. So I'm curious, what is the craziest name you've heard somebody give one of their kids in the last 10 years? Do you have one? you have a crazy one? I had a friend who uh, worked for an organization and they had to make cold calls. And, um, true story somebody had named their child Famali. It was spelled female, but it was pronounced Famali. And, uh, there's a couple others that I'm not allowed to share with you because I don't know how to do it in a way that would be appropriate. But, um, it's crazy some of the things they're doing. I just heard comedians say the other day, one of his friends named their kid Barista. And, uh, maybe, maybe they like Starbucks a lot. Why not? Go ahead and go Starbucks. Why not? But, it. There's this thing about names today. In fact, this comedian I'm talking about, he was talking about how today we want to name our kids after a moment we had. So like he has friends who name their daughter tributary because... Uh, They were in the park when she was created, and I'll leave it at that. And um, as this comedian was talking, he was making fun of them, and as I'm watching him do this little stand-up bit, I thought to myself, but that's how Bible names go. In fact, if you read the book of Genesis, people are named something based off something crazy that happened to them, and that's what we're going to pick up today. So we find ourselves with, there's going to be a lot of names if you're new to this, so just stick with me as best you can. We have a mom and a dad. Their name is Rebecca and Isaac. Rebecca and Isaac. And Rebecca and Isaac have two sons. Rebecca gets pregnant with twins. The older one is named Esau, and the younger one, Isaac. But she doesn't know that. This is thousands of years ago. It's not like she can go to the local doctor and say, hey, do an ultrasound on my belly and tell me why I don't feel right. She just knows there's something going on inside her. She doesn't know what's going on. So she goes to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord reveals to her this. Ready? Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger." I don't have time to go back over last week's sermon, but this would not have been the cultural norm. The cultural norm is the oldest one would have received what's called the birthright. The birthright is a double portion of the inheritance. Simple math for our sake today. If there's two brothers and that's all there were, then what would happen is the first brother, the oldest brother would get a double portion and they would add a third portion and that would go to the younger brother. Along with double the inheritance over his brother, he would have received the responsibility to care for any sisters or daughters that were born or mom and dad as they go older. And in this situation, something happened with that birthright. What happened is we looked at last week is the younger brother deceives the older brother, actually tricks him, sets up a plot to take the birthright. And so the older brother ended up trading the birthright that was his to the younger brother over a bowl of stew because he was super hungry and famished after hunting all day. Now, this is the rest of what God says to Rebecca about these babies in her room. He says, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her room. The first to come out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Now, in our language, you may have heard of Jacob and Esau. You may know someone named Jacob. But you need to put yourself in an ancient Hebrew context because this is crazy. Okay, so here's the crazy, right? Esau literally means Harry, not H-A-R-R-Y, H-A-I-R-Y. So I want you to imagine this. Rebecca's giving birth. She doesn't care about anything in the world because she doesn't have an epidural. <laughs> Men, you were smart not to laugh there. <laughs> she, <laughs> she doesn't have any morphine. She's probably got a stick and maybe some liquor. I don't know, something. This is ancient times. you got to literally grin and bear it. And Esau comes out, and he's covered in hair. And so dad names him Harry. Now, I want you to think about that, the way that's going to play out in our life. Now, in Hebrew, the word is Esau. But in Hebrew, it meant Harry. So for all of his life, he's going to be known as Harry. In Jacob, literally translated means something like one who grabs the heel of another. The way we would say that in our language today is deceiver. That's fascinating. So brother comes out. He's covered in hair. Dad's like, wow, that's a really hairy kid. And younger brother's grabbing onto his heel. He's like, no, me first. And he's like trying to pull him back in. Like, it's like this is like Alien, right? This is like your, the worst movie you've ever seen. Nobody? Okay. Maybe that's a little old now. All right. This is what's happening here. And they get their names based off this. But here's what's really crazy. Both those names become an identity. When I was born, um, I was born, doctor made a mistake. It's a longer story. I told it before. I was born two months premature. I almost died. Cardiac arrest a couple times. And uh, I was put in a little baking unit, cook a little longer. And um, my mom and dad decided to name me Matthew, which means gifts from God. I was supposed to not make it. And that was my identity. That was my name. What's it like if your identity is deceiver? All of us have a choice, right? We can either walk in the identity that our families handed us, or we can walk in a new identity. And that's really what the story is ultimately about. So, as we looked at last week, Jacob, deceiver, trips up, grabs the heel of, Right? Think about a football player chasing another player down the field. He wants to make a tackle, and he just can't get there, so he swipes at his legs, and he makes one foot knock into another foot. That's the concept behind his name, one who trips up another to make them stumble so that he can advance. That's the concept here. That's why we get to the word deceiver. So what happens is um, his daddy's getting old now. And if you haven't been with us, there's this thing I don't have time to unpack deeply today. So I'm going to give a quick summary statement. But what happened is in the very beginning of the Bible, when God created everything there was, he put the stars in place and the trees and the animals and all the things. And he says to the people, Adam and Eve, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And then he blesses them. It says he blesses them. Well, that blessing, even though Adam and Eve sinned against God, got carried on and was given to Noah. And he says, now I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And then he carries it on to a man named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I want you to be fruitful. In fact, not only will you be fruitful, but those who curse you, I'm going to curse. Those who bless you, I'm going to bless. And through you, all the nations of the earth earth will be blessed. What trips us up in America is we read the book of Genesis and we read American blessing and we think, yes, God wants to bless me. He wants to give me a bigger house, lots of cars, lots of money, lots of stuff. That's what God wants for me. And God does desire to care for us and meet all of our needs. That is not what's wrapped up in the concept of the Genesis blessing. Although God does provide for his people and we see his provision through their prosperity, through their blessing. This blessing is the promise that through you, all nations will be blessed. And then what happens is Abraham gives it to Isaac, and now Isaac is about to die, and he has to do something with the blessing. But he can only pass it on to one generation. He can't pass it on to both Jacob and Esau. So not only does Esau get tricked out of the birthright, he's about to lose the blessing. That's the setup. This blessing is so important that when Matthew and Luke come along— Thousands of years later, the New Testament gospel books, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, they're the ones that tell us the Christmas story, right, about there was a census and the baby's born and the whole nine yards. Those books, they go out of their way through what's called a genealogy. This is before genealogy.com came along. Those genealogies go back through and say, now Mary, Joseph, Joseph was the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, and they track it all the way back to Jacob. Why? because he gets the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. So what happens is, look at chapter 27. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, he's saying this to Esau, get your equipment, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare for me the kind of tasty food that I like and bring it to me so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, if you weren't here last week, you may have missed this one little verse. And there's this little verse that came in that I think it was right at the end of the birth story, and it says, "Rebekah loved Jacob, Isaac loved Esau." That doesn't mean that Isaac didn't love Jacob. That didn't mean Rebecca didn't love Esau. But we see this unfolding of Isaac is so proud because Harry Esau He's a man of the field. He so loves to hunt, and he's really, really good at it. He's a manly man. a doodly dude, a strong guy. And that's super important in the story because Jacob becomes a man of the tents, it says. And a man of the tents means he basically becomes a mama's boy. That's the way we would mockingly say it today. But he likes to hang around. Perhaps he likes to cook, or perhaps he likes to uh, clean or sew, or do the things that the women like to do. He doesn't like to do the things that the men like Do. That is not a knock. Now, praise God. In our culture, men can do a lot of different things and women can do a lot of different things. It's a little less broken up by, well, men have to do these things and women have to do these things. However, in that culture, it was. And so Isaac identified with Esau, loved Esau. And now he's saying, Esau, I'm about to die. I don't know how close it is. Could be weeks, could be months, could be years. But I'm getting old and he's going blind. He can't see anything. Perhaps his fingers are getting numb. Lots of years of hard work. He's lost some sensitivity. That's part of the story. He says, Esau, go out, catch me, my favorite wild game. Come back in here, cook me a meal. And I'm gonna give you this blessing that's been passed down for thousands of years now, through generations to me. I'm gonna give it to you. It's gonna be great. You don't want to miss this. And what's happening is Rebecca's listening. She overhears everything. So she concocts a plan. And She goes to Jacob because she loves Jacob. She says, Jacob, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go get me two young goats. You're going to, you're going to kill them. You're going to bring them in here. And this is what's going to happen. She says, now, my son, listen carefully. Do what I tell you. Go out to the flock, bring in my two choice young goats, so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. But Jacob's got a problem. He's like, "I don't know. Like it's going to trick dad. Like Harry is Harry and I'm not. I've got smooth skin like a baby's bottom and he doesn't." So like what's going to happen if I go in to Trick Dad and Dad reaches out and he's like, "Hey, wait a minute. Did you shave? Like what is happening here?" She goes, trust me. We didn't spend a lot of time on this, but I think sometimes dads get a bad rap for the generational sin they leave on us. And I get it. There are entire cultures and communities in America that have fatherless issues, homes where dads moved on. And for some of you, that's your story. But moms don't always get a free pass either. While Jacob's name means deceiver, his mom is literally setting him up to deceive her husband. She's training him. This is how we do things. And what's really fascinating to me in this is God has already promised this is his. God promised, I am going to make the younger greater than the older. The older will serve the younger, You didn't have to take what was already yours. But see, I believe that Jacob doesn't fully understand his identity. And I believe that sometimes we don't too. So he puts this plan together. Mama goes in, takes some of Esau's clothes, puts it on Jacob. She goes and takes goat skin and puts it on his arm and his hands and on the back of his neck. Have you ever touched a goat? I was just in Florida a couple weeks ago and we went to a place and you could feed some goats and we took like some food. You got food in one hand and they're like trying to eat through this fence and eat your hand, I mean the food and they're trying to take it off there and then you're reaching out and you're petting them. I have never in my life felt a human being that felt like a goat. I got some questions that don't have answers but they cover his arm and his hands and his neck in goat hair. They prepare this meal and he goes into dad. And it says he went into his father and he said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered. Because that's how all old dads speak. Yes, my son. <laughs> Who is it? See, dad's already on to something. He knows the sound of the voice. Maybe Jacob sounds like Mike Tyson. I don't know. <laughs> Jacob said, I don't know. I'm moving on. All right, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up. And eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac's on to this thing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord gave me success. Now think about this for a minute. He's caught in the moment. He's caught. And he decides to take his deception a step further by pointing a finger at God. By claiming a false blessing. Something that wasn't even there in the first place. God didn't give him this, he lied about it. You don't need to lie. You definitely don't need to lie and blame God or try to give God some false credit. It's already yours. And I wonder how many times that we do the same thing. We try to take what God has so graciously already given us. But because we do, we end up sinning against God or others, hurting other people. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. He is totally onto this thing. It's just that he's almost blind and he can't feel quite as good. Jacob went close to his father, Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Again, I got questions, man. Goat hair, how hairy was this dude? Like, I don't know. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. But he asks him one last time, are you really my son Esau? I am. I don't know if you've been at this church thing or God thing or Bible thing for very long. That's okay if you haven't. But the phrase I am is a super significant phrase. Carries a lot of weight and a lot of meaning. So when Jacob is asked, are you the son that I love? His answer is, I am. But he's lying. And that's super important because of what's going to happen in the next few moments. Isaac is going to bring Jacob in, and he's going to pronounce a blessing over him. And I want you to hear the way this whole thing unfolds. Because as it unfolds, all of the blessing that's coming to Isaac isn't meant for Isaac. It's meant for Esau. Then he said, my son, give me some of your game so that I may eat and give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went and he kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him. It's like all of my senses say that you are Esau, except for my ears. My ears are saying this isn't right. Something's not right here. I do not want to give you my blessing. I want you to think about that for a minute. This is not American blessing, so I want to be careful. It's not a one-to-one correlation, but let's just take their story and put it into our own world for a minute because some of you know all too painfully exactly what this is like. When your whole life you just desperately wanted someone to look at you and say, you are enough. You are my cherished son or daughter. I love you. I care about you. You're important to me. You're valued. Not because you can perform and go out and hunt. Not because you lived up to all of my expectations. But because, simply because you are you. How painful these next few words must have been. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. But it's not his smell what is it like for Jacob in this moment to sit there longing to hear his daddy say something about him like this? The rest of this stuff is the blessing he had to say to pass along that promise from Abraham now to Isaac and it's gonna go to Jacob. All of this stuff had to be said, this is just a celebration of his son. Where's the celebration for Isaac? For Jacob. Now some of you know exactly what that feels like especially some of you men, and I'm not saying the women don't, but the more I sit with men in my office, especially at retreats, the more men share with me that they just would love for, long for dad to have looked at them just once and said, I'm so proud of you. Well done. I'm so glad you're my son. Some of you You've had that, you've had those words, but the actions never backed it up, so they were just empty words because their hobby or their sport or their job or their friends or perhaps their girlfriend was too important. And so you've carried this baggage, this weight your whole life. A who am I? So he gives the blessing. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you, there it is, be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. And that's the key phrase that we saw handed from God to Abraham, Abraham to Isaac and now Isaac to Jacob. We're gonna close out the series with a whole message on blessing and curses. So I don't wanna go any deeper into that today. I only wanna encourage you to keep coming back You don't want to miss it. But today let's pick up the importance of the story. Because what happens next is basically Esau comes back from his hunt, he's got his game, and he knows something's up. And he takes his game in to his daddy. He's like, Dad, I'm here, I've got it, I'm ready for you to bless me. And 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 Isaac goes, wait, what? He's like, Harry, come over here. And Esau comes near and he's like, I gave it, I gave it away. Who did I give it to? And then Esau knows, my brother! And he lets out this terrible groaning yell, and he's enraged. And he finally, his brother tells somebody, I'm going to kill Jacob. When dad has finally died and the time of grieving is over, I will kill my brother. And everybody knows he's capable because he's the man of the field. And so mama comes to Jacob and says, you gotta get out of here. You gotta run to my brother, go back to my family, go to Laban, my brother, and you gotta live with him. Just gotta get out of here. Let your brother cool off. Cool off, how's he gonna cool off? Now you took his birthright and his blessing. You have stolen everything from him. You have tricked him and deceived him and lied to him. So Jacob goes and he goes alone with nothing but a staff. And I don't have time to tell all the stories today, but he meets God out there in the wilderness, all alone, isolated. God meets him. You ever heard of Jacob's ladder? That happens in that moment. And he ends out there, he gets to Laban's house. And when he's out there, this is a cool, beautiful story will unfold over the next couple of weeks. So I don't wanna to go too deep into it, but he meets this woman named Rachel and he's immediately enthralled. And uh, Rachel's a family member, which is not weird back then, it is today. That's a whole nother sermon for the next couple of weeks but he sees her and he's like, yes, I finally found where I'm supposed to be. And she brings him in and there's this beautiful thing. And he goes and he talks to Laban, his uncle. And Laban's like, what what do you want? And he's like, I want her. And says, I'll tell you what, I will work for you for seven years if you give me her, if you give me Rachel, I will work for you for seven years. She's beautiful in form and shape and everything. But the problem is Rachel has a sister. Her name is Leah. And we'll talk about Leah's story next week. But he works for his seven years And it's going to be great. Everything's wonderful. And he comes finally to Laban. And it says in chapter 29 and 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to make love to her. And if you ever thought the Bible was boring, you just weren't reading it. Man, I don't know which parts you're reading. Man, this man, he's worked for seven years in the field. And all he can think about is this moment. And he's like, it's here. It's time. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. So he throws a big party, there's a big wedding, and when the evening came, he took his daughter Leah, and he brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her, and if you were paying attention, you went, wait a minute, he worked for seven years for Rachel, Uh uh-huh, you're like, how is this even possible, well, we may have time to touch on it more next week, but you got one of two options, option number one, she was wearing a veil, so he couldn't see, and option number two, probably both, he was good and liquored up, he had no idea what he was doing, Some of you are like, that's in the Bible. I'm telling you, this is good stuff. You just got to read it. (laughs) And he wakes up the next day and he's got a problem. It says, and Laban gave a servant Zilpah to his daughter and her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you? And there's the key phrase, deceived me. Why did you do this? I've worked my tail end off for you. He has no one to fight for him. He has no one to meet his needs. He is in a foreign country running for his life. He's tricked his daddy. He's got nothing, nothing. He's stuck. Ever felt that way? And Laban concocts this great plan. Now I tell you what, I'll give you Rachel. You just work another seven years for me. But I can't marry off my younger daughter before I marry off my older daughter. Again, we're going to pack all that over the next two weeks. You're not going to want to miss this, especially the ladies. Make sure you bring your kids and your husbands. Say, you got to come. You go watch all the football you want on Sunday and Saturday. If you come to church with me for two weeks, you're not going to want to miss it. Get them here. All right? It's important for husbands and wives to get here. It's super important. All right? But in this context now, what we see is Jacob has just been out deceived by a deceiver. And that's important because sometimes, sometimes God may allow you to be wounded according to your own temptations to get your attention. Now, some of you know exactly what that feels like right now. Have you ever been hurt, betrayed, lied about, stabbed in the back? Maybe in a way that you've been guilty of before and you think to yourself, this isn't fair. And then, in those quiet moments when it's just you and God alone with the thoughts, you think to yourself... Maybe that wasn't that unfair. That doesn't always happen like this. You don't need to wait for that moment to come. But sometimes when God has tried to get your attention and he can't get your attention, he will allow a wound to come in that's not dramatically different than the way that you wound others. And so he could say, look, this is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. And it gives you a moment. If you will let it, it gives you a moment to go, I don't want to be that way anymore. Then God comes to Jacob after a lot more deception and hurt back and forth. And he says, Go back to the land of your father, send to your relatives, and I will be with you. Now, if you're following the drama of Jacob's story, which we are covering, we are covering almost 30 years in like 30 minutes. Okay, 40 minutes, but we're covering 30 years in a very short span of time. So we're obviously doing one, two, skip a few. We're hitting bits and pieces, but this is critical for everything I've told you because why did he go to Laban's house in the first place? Esau's going to kill him. He is deathly afraid. And God says to him, I want you to go. I want you to take your wives. I want you to take your children. I want you to take all your servants and all the other things I've blessed you with. And I want you to go. Now, here's what we really see. This is important and critical because Jacob says, okay, just like his grandfather, Abraham, did when God told Abraham, I want you to go to a land I will show you. You don't know how it's going to work out. I just need you to trust me. All of this has got to be ringing around in Jacob's head. As Jacob goes, okay, I will follow you. I will obey you. I'll go wherever you tell me to go, but I'm terrified. And so he ends up just doing this. And the hard part for us as we read Jacob's story is, God may actually send you back into the place of your greatest anxiety in order to reveal his greatest goodness. What if the very place you're trying to avoid going to is the very place of your growth? Some of you are all like, I really wish I hadn't come to church today. I know this is awkward and I know it's hard and I know it's uncomfortable, but I need you to just consider it for a minute. What if God is wanting to send you back to the very place you're trying to avoid because he wants to heal, deal with, grow in you, process through something with you? I was listening to a podcast last night with a pastor named Tim Keller. Some of you have heard of Tim Keller. It was a great little podcast. I think it's at his podcast page, which you can find for yourself. But in this interview, he was talking about, so it's kind of weird because I'm talking about a podcast that I listen to where he's quoting a book that he read. So I don't know anything about the original source. So I can only tell you what I can remember for the podcast, all right? But he's quoting this other book. And in the book is this illustration about this lady who came to the conclusion that God wanted her to forgive her dad. Except her dad was abusive verbally, if not in other ways also. But she was so deeply convicted that God wanted her to honor her father. She called her dad on the phone. She said, dad, I love you. I miss you. And I know that you're not gonna live forever and we only have limited time left to develop our relationship. So I want a relationship with you. But if I could be honest, dad, you use words that are mean and hurtful and cutting to me and that's not okay. And of course, he didn't accept that. He wasn't open to that. She said, but here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna call you every day at this time, every week, sorry, not every day, every week at this time, I'm gonna call you. And if you're verbally abusive to me in any way, I'm just going to say goodbye, but I will call you again the next week. So sure enough, some of the phone calls, he started going that direction. He was verbally abusive. And sure enough, she'd say, okay, Dad, we're done today. I love you. Talk to you next week. And she would call back. And it was her way of creating a boundary that he couldn't cross On a regular basis, she was protecting herself, keeping some safety and some distance, but she was convicted that God wanted her to go back and deal with and process the very thing that she just wanted to run away from and avoid. And over time, it changed his heart as he learned to control his words and use his words in a way that were helpful to build up and not tear down. But can you imagine every time she had to hang up that call? She had to come right back to cross, right back to Jesus Christ and say, I need you because I want to quit. And that's exactly what Jacob does. Jacob starts to pray. I don't have the whole prayer. I only put part of it in here. But the first part basically is, oh, God, help me. You've blessed me in every way. You've given me wife. You've given me children. You've given me me, uh, animals. You've taken care of me. You've blessed me. But now you've asked me to go back home, and I'm scared. So he says, save me. I pray from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. That's exactly what God said to Abraham. So he's drawing on all this history. He's like, I know who you are. I now believe who you are, but I'm terrified why you're asking me to do this. I don't know. But my daddy, my daddy told me about a time you asked his dad, to offer him as a sacrifice. So all I know, God, is there's this history in my family of you showing up and you working out your faithfulness, and I'm calling on you to be faithful to me yet again. But he's scared, because Esau has heard that Jacob is coming, and Esau has gathered 400 men, and he's coming towards him. Why would you send 400 men ahead of you unless you had evil intentions? Jacob is terrified, rightfully so. So when he's getting close, it says that night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons across the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Now get it, what he's doing here, what you will see unfold, we'll actually cover this in three weeks. What he's doing is he's both trying to pay off his brother and soften him up. This is a good dude. So I'm gonna send my least favorite wife and her kids. Then I'm gonna send my favorite wife and her son. Then I'm gonna send like my servants and stuff as a payment. Then I'll show up. Aren't, isn't this the guy you all wanna be married to? Right? He's, He's like, you walk into a restaurant, somebody shows up with a gun and he grabs you to be the human shield right? Like, you know, baby, if they get through you, they can have me. Nobody else thinks that's ironic. All right. But he's trying to soften Esau because even though he's saying, God, I trust you and I know you're with me, he doesn't fully trust God. And then it says, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. A what? So the Bible loves to do this. The Bible loves to make these statements and throw these things out there. And if you aren't careful, you'll just read on and be like, okay, that's weird. And you'll keep moving. But see, there's something happening here, something profound. And I need to share this with you. Because by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, this is, this is us today. 2,000 years ago, Jesus showed up on the scene. And the Bible tells us he was God in the flesh. And we go, well, that's weird. That can't happen. But see, if you were to read your Bible, what you would find out is 500 years before that and 750 years before that, 1,000 years before that, and 2,000 years before that, this has been happening over and over and over and over again. God shows up in the flesh. He showed up earlier in the book of Genesis when three people showed up and talked to Abraham. He shows up at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're in the fire, and there's somebody in the fire with them, so they didn't burn up. He shows up uh, to Joshua, when Joshua is about to go to battle, and Joshua says, Well, who are you for? You for me or my enemies? And he says, Neither. I'm for the Lord your God. See, we have these moments throughout the Bible where God shows up, and it's this moment where I am convinced this is Jesus himself. Now, you don't have to believe me, but I'll show it to you in the text, and then you can do what you want with that. But it's because Jesus is the answer to all of our problems. Thank you. I'll pay that session up there to start it. And you think it gets started. All right. So he wrestles with this man till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, that's the hymn there. So the man could not overpower Jacob. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Okay, so first of all, if someone and you are going MMA style fight, and that dude can literally just take his finger and go, and your whole hip pops out of socket, who's stronger? There was never an issue as to which one of these two was more powerful. That's why when you read this stuff, you go, okay, this is literally happening. It is literal, but there's a meaning that is far deeper and bigger than the literal. And if you don't search for the meaning, you will miss the point altogether. God is wrestling Jacob, and he can't get Jacob wrestled to the ground, because his entire identity is wrapped up in whether he can trust God or not, whether God's going to come through or not, whether God is faithful or not, whether God is good enough or not. God, if you want me to follow you, if you want me to trust you, if you want me to obey you, if you want me to stop deceiving and trying to manage and manipulate and control everything, how can I know you're good? And God is just trying to show Jacob, I have been taking care of you from the moment you were in your mama's belly. I knew your story. I was writing your story. I was developing this whole thing. I could overpower you and your enemy and all of it with the touch of a finger. But Jacob, I'm just trying to get you to stop fighting me. Do you see it? This is so big, by the way, that the Israelites later when they're eating sacrifices, they uh, literally avoid a certain tendon or something that's in the hip socket because of such a part of their story. And the man said, let me go for its daybreak. Jacob's hip is out of socket. I got a broken pelvic bone. I broke it 13 from my own wrestling with God moment. I could tell you how bad that hurt. Jacob's like, I still ain't letting go. And then, and then Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you what? Bless me. The only one that can give a blessing in the book of Genesis, right? Is God or the person God blessed. It's as if Jacob is literally saying, I need you to bless me. He knows something. He knows this person is something. He's an angel. He's God himself. He doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know what it is, but he knows he's somebody. I need you to bless me, but God's already promised to bless him. You don't need to take what is already yours. Why are you trying to steal this still? And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. <laughs> Do you remember the last time? The last time Jacob gave an account for his name, he deceived his daddy. Remember? Who is this? It's Esau. Are you really Esau? Uh huh. Are you sure you're not Jacob? Uh huh. That's not me. The last time he was asked for an account of his name, he deceived his dad. This time, he tells the truth to his heavenly father. I am Jacob. But remember what Jacob means? I am deceiver. And his name is his identity. You've been doing this thing for so long. You've been tricking and lying, deceiving people for so long. This is who you think you are now. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. Israel, the name for Israel, literally means one who struggled with God and man and over. And that's our story. See, God wants to bless you the way he blessed Jacob, but we've got to overcome. We've got to surrender and stop fighting God. We've got to let God unfold his good purposes in our lives. We've got to follow after him and obey him and trust him with everything. And watch, what just watch what he can do. Just watch how he blesses and provides in the actual, real Stuff of life. You've got to let him take care of us. That's so hard. But if you know where your name came from, you could do it. So, why Jacob said, Please tell me your name. And he replied, Why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. Nobody can bless but God. But he blessed him. So, Jacob called the place Peniel. Saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. He knows who he's wrestling with now. You can't see God face to face. You know why? You'll die. You'll die. Moses wants to see God face to face. Nobody's closer to God than Moses. And Moses says, let me see your face. And God says, you can't handle my face. It'll melt you. You will literally melt in my presence. You can't handle the truth. And so he puts him in a cleft of rock and he covers him. God does. And he lets his glory, just his glory pass by. Like this aura around God just goes in front of Moses. And Moses' whole face lights up white because he can't handle it. So if no one can see the face of God, and Jacob says, I saw the face of God, then whose face did he see? He saw the face of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ literally looked at him. Jesus Christ wrestled him. And Jesus Christ gave him a new name. He gave him a new identity and said, you are no longer marked by that old thing. You are a new creation. It's so powerful because in the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible that talks about the times when Jesus will return, when Jesus will come back, there's this one phrase repeated over and over and over again. And you may go read your NIVs and your ESVs. They may use a different English word to translate it. That's fine. Some use the word victorious, but it's the word Overcome. And it's used repeatedly. Those who overcome will get a new name. Those who overcome will be given white to wear. Those who overcome will be with God and reign with him forever and eternity. Overcome, overcome. And there's a reason why. It's the exact word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, taking us back to this very passage to say you have wrestled with God and man and overcome. And God wants all of us to overcome. That's why in Revelation chapter 2, 17, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Now listen, Everybody in here has ears. You got two of them. But the point is, anybody can have two ears. But are you listening? Are you tuning into the voice of God? Are you paying attention to what he's trying to do in your life? Are you willing to receive whatever he's saying to you? He says, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To him who overcomes. To him I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. We clap for Jesus. Some of you are like, yeah, that's cool. What do I do with that? Yeah, I've read lots of commentaries. I've listened to pastors or preachers, and here's the thing. Nobody knows exactly what this means, but here's what we think. When we get to heaven, for those of us who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he has a name picked out just for us, a new name, an identity that is just ours. It communicates the intimacy with which Jesus knows your story. Literally, Jesus says, I know the hairs on your head. And I know for some of you, that's super easy, right? But he literally knows how many hairs are on your head. He's watching every moment of your life. You've never once been alone. You've never once been abandoned. You've never once, oh, I get it. It felt like that. But that doesn't mean he wasn't watching. He loves you. You're here because he was watching, because he cares. And if you overcome this world through faith, one day you'll stand before him and he's gonna say, here's your new identity. And it's all gonna be from him. Because nobody else in this world can give you a name that means anything. Nobody else can call you anything. They can call you whatever they want. They can call you cheater, liar, deceiver, drunk. They can call you anything they want. Lazy, oh sure, they can call you whatever they want, but they don't know you, and he does. And he wants a relationship with you. And he wants to love you and pour out his blessing on you. But that comes through faith. So listen, I want to send you into communion right now. I just want you to take out the cup. If you didn't just spend this time in prayer, it's okay. But I want to be very, very clear. While you're taking this communion today, I want you to be thinking about one of two things. Ready? Perhaps you are a believer, but you've taken on a different identity. You've let something or someone else re-identify you. I want you to come and re-anchor your identity in Jesus Christ. So at the end of communion, we're gonna sing, and I just want you to, we're gonna, on my left, your right, there's gonna be some people standing under there. If you're up top, there'll be some people gathered right around our sound booth there in the middle. You can go to them if you don't wanna come all the way down the stairs. And I just want you to go to them and say, look, I have been running away from God. I've been sinning against God. I've been breaking the heart of God. And he's wrestling me to the ground right here, right now. And I don't know what to do next, but I know I need prayer. Just go to them and say, I need prayer. I need prayer. You don't have to tell them any details of the story. You're not here to shame anybody. We just love you and we want to bless you. But maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never gone into the waters of baptism. You know, when you go into the waters of baptism, you come up, you're leaving the old you behind, the old identity behind. And you're coming up to a new life. You're gonna have a chance to respond today and say, you know what, today's my day, why not? Just like Kennedy earlier, maybe today is your day. Let me pray for you. Father, meet us in this place right now, God. Speak your loving words over us, encourage us, challenge us. God, if there's something that is just owning us, maybe it's a lie someone spoke over us years ago. Maybe it's an identity that we think, maybe this, this struggle, this temptation, this desire, this failure, this something in our life or past, God. We think it's who we are. Right now, Jesus is speaking and saying, it's not who you are. I am who you are. God, I pray that through Jacob's story, we would accept that. Let this be our wrestling moment and let it not go on anymore. Now, we know you're bigger and stronger. You could pop all kinds of things out of socket to make them hurt in our life. But you say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You don't desire to hurt us. You desire to bless us. So God, help us right now to surrender ourselves fully and completely and wholly to you. In Jesus' name.